Stop! Sure you want the rest of it? Dirty Harry Welcome back to Dirty Harry Minute, the only podcast in the world to review every minute of that 1971 Warner Brothers classic, Dirty Harry. I'm one of your hosts, John. Apologies as usual for Tim and Trent not here. Do they Uh exist? (laughs) Seems like you've started a podcast with three people. We're getting to the stage now, Shane, you're the most frequented guest have have I over overtaken you, any of the uh, any of the I co-hosts? Think you may almost have been on as many guests as Tim Keong. That's great. That has been my almost. my challenge. Secretly replacing him. I no, I don't want to replace it because I don't want to t- change to my title. Oh, it's okay. more work. It's longer hours. That's true. I just yeah, I like the numbers game and the statistics. Thank you, John. You're welcome. Thank you, Mandy, again for coming back. Thank you, John. It's a pleasure to be here as always. Do you still like the movie? Yeah, I still like it. <laughs> Thank you, Jordan, for returning. Jordan, one part of uh, a Film Slice podcast. Yeah, happy to be here. The other two are less committed, clearly, to uh, most elements of our lives. So it's fine. I'm really glad to be here. And um, we're very grateful to be joined um, in America, one part of the Wilder Ride podcast. Um, son, I think, of an FBI agent, possibly a, a private investigator. We have Walt Murray. Hello, Walt. Hey, how are y'all tonight? We are great. Great, thank you. Well, I guess, I guess for you it's not night. For me it's night. <laughs> <laughs> like the minute we're reviewing, it's bright, sunny spring day here, isn't it, Shane? It is beautiful here. Um, and we're all in a dust mill for some reason. I don't know why we did the podcast here. It was a bad decision. <laughs> the lighting is good for the podcast. <laughs> wow, it's almost like we're on a globe and not on a flat object. So that's kind of cool. <laughs> Allegedly. I'll quickly introduce this minute 95. The minute begins with Scorpio running up a ladder and ends with Harry Callahan looking like he's struggling to breathe. What did you think of this minute, Walt? Well, this whole movie for me is awesome. I mean, it's hard to find a minute of this movie that I don't like. And I think this is one of the few times that we do see a little bit behind the curtain on, um, on Dirty Harry being human. And not being a superhero all the time. Because he does, you can tell, he's winded, he's worn out, and he's glad the uh, the chase is almost over. I agree. What did you think of this minute, Jordan? Uh, I found this minute to be a bit too much. What? I, I, yeah, I mean, I just, like, I'll get into it, but there's a point where the Scorpio gets a kid who's just fishing by himself Directly after school, so I don't know how he caught... Did he catch a bus to the mill and then went fishing out by myself? This is a safe idea. Just a lot of questions arose in this moment that was like, it's clearly there just for the scene in the film, but it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Walt, did you ever skip school to fish in a pond, Walt? Is that an American pastime? 
I, I was about to say I can relate to that. Oh, um, oh. I, I had a, uh, I had more than a couple of times when I, uh, when I skipped out for stuff like that. Got there, him. There was a great pond about halfway between my house and my school, so um, I did find a couple of times to uh, to do that. So I can relate to that kid. And you didn't come into any strife. There were no murdering psychopaths around. No, fortunately, there were uh, very few of those in my area that I know of. <laughs> now, Walt, I was going to ask you. Um, who's faster on the draw, the Waco kid from Blazing Saddles or Dirty Harry? <laughs> well, I, I think the Waco kids got him by just a split second. However, because Dirty Harry's can- carrying that cannon around, yeah. uh, you probably have to give him a, a little tear weight on that because uh, that is a tough gun to wield. So um, what he, he makes up for in speed, uh, Dirty Harry makes up for in, in firepower. How, how readily available are Lugers in America? Are they, after World War II, did, is there a lot of contraband that made its its way into America? I mean, Lugers aren't still made. They're a World War II artifact, aren't they? Uh, there there are some um, some knockoffs. I don't know if there are actually any Luger Lugers made, but uh, you can get them, but they're hard to find now. They're definitely a collector's item. What did you think of this minute, Mandy? Um. Yeah, similar concerns um, as Jordan does. I found that the child scenario really odd and I caught myself going, oh, I should have taken more notice of the kids in the bus. Was he a kid on the bus or was he a kid, <laughs> you know, that's just randomly there? What's he even doing there? Yeah, it was a bit jarring for me. And also the giggling by Scorpio is very off-putting. <laughs> yeah, it's really odd. I find that just, yeah, I don't know. I didn't love it. But he does have, and I've said this before, a beautiful head of hair. <laughs> <laughs> Walt, why doesn't um, why doesn't Scorpio? There's a shot um, behind his shoulder where he sees Harry. Is he running out of shots? Why doesn't he have a go at Harry? Why doesn't he shoot at Harry when he sees him through the dust? You know, I, I kind of wondered that too, and I, I think if it were real life, he would have. But I, I think from a dramatic standpoint you're getting a good picture of this being the big showdown. You know, it's like we're headed to the gunfight at the OK Corral. It's a good tension builder moment. Um, but in real life, no, I mean, you know, Harry's out in the open. His adversary has a pretty good gun that's fairly accurate and um, puts out a lot of rounds fast. Um, probably not the wisest thing to do uh, to face him down like that uh, in real life. Just in that scene, like um, right where Scorpio has that moment of opportunity, I've noticed A, a continuity error and B, just a weird decision where he makes a fist and puts his arm out as a ledge to rest the gun upon, which is weird because usually if you're going to shoot like that, you just have two hands sort of nursing the gun. But then the very next scene, he is nursing the gun with both hands. So weird decision to hold it like that with a fist as like a ledge. And then the next shot, continuity error. (laughs) He did that ledge thing before when he first fired uh, at Harry from the top of the, the wooden stairs at the start. Maybe it's because it's it, it is a Luger knockoff, perhaps Walt. Have you do, have any idea why he's used his his hand as a wedge here to prop up his right hand? I have no idea. I, I kind of wondered the same thing too because that is not really a very uh, a very good way to brace yourself. No, it's a horrible way to brace yourself. <laughs> Famously, um, they did 
Andy Robinson, who plays Scorpio, had to do some preliminary gun training because the director found he wasn't that good. He kept on blinking, no, holding his eyes closed when he fired off a shot and he was yeah. a bit of a pacifist. So maybe it's just a bad habit he learnt by an instructor. I don't know. I like how we have the uh, the quarry worker says, hey, you can't go in there. You can't go in there. Is that a bit weird, Mandy? It's like, totally weird. What's happening? What's happening in that room that isn't happening? Isn't just as dangerous as anywhere else? Yeah, right. Is it like the Simpsons? Like, don't go in there. That's the electricity room. <laughs> yeah, but where was he? Like previously to this, like you know. So there's actually workers on site. Is he the only guy? Like there've been fight. There's been shots already fired. Nobody's come out to see what's going on and what, what, whether they're, what's the, what's the ruckus, guys? But also, when two people are shooting at each other, is that your concern? If, if you see two people having a gunfight and they're trying to kill each other, yeah. is your concern like, no, don't go there. Wet floor, dangerous. Like, you guys are going to hurt yourselves. Yeah. Here, put on this safety vest. Um, yeah. Where's your high visibility vest? Sorry, Walt? No, I was going to say, yeah, you, you, they're not really worried about don't get caught in the equipment. They're worried about don't get shot. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's a weird for that guy to take umbrage with them going there. Like, if I was working anywhere and there was, like, you know, a room you're not allowed in because it's staff only or something like that, and there were two people with guns, my brain isn't like, hey, guys, that's you're breaking the rules. That's not... I'd be like, maybe I shouldn't stand in the firing range of these bullets. Why don't you duck and cover immediately? Yeah. yeah. You, you wouldn't be like, oh, no, you're not authorised. My boss is going to kill me. No, guy, I can't let you in there. That guy deserves an award. He's very committed to following the rules of his job. He's never been more committed. Even in the face of death, he's like, oh, I've got to let him know. Got to yeah. let him know. <laughs> and also, concerningly, he's wearing a lot of equipment. He's got he's got a face mask on with you know breathing apparatus. He's yeah. completely covered. So where are they? He's like one of those repairer droids in um, Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> I wonder if it's a cameo. Is it someone who's like, oh, just let me in on the on the scene where it's the finale, and mm-hmm. I'll wear anything on my face. To, I need to just let let me be on camera. Hey Walt, do you have? Um do you have a favourite dust scene or where there's, like, um, lots of debris in the air in an action film? Um, my favourite movie with dust in it would have to be just that small bit in The Goonies with Chester Carpenter when they're in the um, attic and he's wiping the dust away from the... Uh, from the What's your favourite... Do you have a favourite dust scene in a movie? I don't know if a, a dust scene necessarily, but my... My favourite debris scene is from Die Hard when they blow the building up and... I mean, I know when you blow, when you have an explosion like that, there's a lot of stuff. But it was like the never-ending debris field that just kept raining down and kept raining down. And um, I always loved that one. That was a great dramatic uh, debris field or dust storm or whatever. You, Jordan? Yeah, I was going to say uh, the most recent Mad Max film. There's a moment where there's a whole bunch of cars driving into a massive like dust storm. Yeah. And I saw that film at the cinemas and it is cinematically beautiful like it is breathtaking that whole scene is it that road warrior what's that one called uh, fury road fury road Road, yeah yeah it looks visually spectacular i was very bored (laughs) really (laughs) absolutely it's like fighting on cars a a whole movie of like fighting on moving vehicles right i loved it (laughs) yeah i I loved it film no it's a beautiful looking film what i love about this scene is the sparks that the gun makes it looks pretty good. I've never really fired a gun in my life, Walt. Would a would a gun make those sort of sparks? Um, it depends on what it hits. Uh, 
you know, because it would be, well, and it, okay, so I'm going to get, I, I do this every podcast. I don't know why I get nut, really gun nerdy. Um, it, it depends on what kind of bullet he's using, what he hits, and what kind of angle it hits at. But yeah, it, it can. It, it can definitely do that. I was meaning more also the, the muzzle flash when the bullet leaves the Luger. Oh, yeah, sorry. Okay, so yes, it will do that because it, you're ba- you basically have a small explosion inside the uh, the chamber there, and um, you're burning um, the wadding and the gunpowder. So yeah, you, you'll see that, particularly if you shoot at night. And you can go on YouTube and look at um, videos of people shooting with shotguns or whatever, and it, it's kind of a cool scene to watch those blasts. Yeah. So there's this next scene that comes up where he slides down a rail. Ooh, splinters. Well, <laughs> also, like, I get he's got the limp, but I don't think I'd risk getting away in the hopes that I could nail that in one go. <laughs> I'd definitely, like... Because if you think of any time you've slid on a rail and you're not, like, 11 years old or younger, <laughs> it takes a lot of thinking and, like, careful precision to make sure you... And you don't... You're not just like, I'll just jump on this rail like I'm a parkour expert. I'd like dead set. It would have taken more than one scene for them to get that in real life. I think the hardest so, thing would be once you've landed on the ground successfully, just stifle the yippee that you have from childhood <laughs> memory. Yes. So wouldn't that fuck your leg? Like if you're already limping, landing on that, like wouldn't you fall to the ground? Like he comes off of that running. Fair effort to him. I reckon I'd fall to the ground. The adrenaline, you know, is <laughs> in precision running. Hmm. Yeah. Well, the impact's not enough to stop him skipping like a girl in a second. But no, apparently um, Andy Robinson was allowed to choreograph this scene himself. Really? Seagull let him do it, yeah. As he says, you know, I thought that was what filmmaking was all about. You know, the actor getting Delegating. to improvise and, and, you know, choreograph a scene with the director. But It sound, sounds like he just forgot to put in a storyboard and he had to delegate. Well, it is a lean film, you know, 89 minutes or whatever, and done very quickly. I doubt there were storyboards for this. No, but I'm sure that there was an insurance guy on set who was consistently sweating for the entire time that they were at this location. There's so many things that I can only imagine would have been rehearsed and safety, although it was the 70s. He was the guy in the face mask saying, don't go in there. That was was just him working, being like, no, guys, we can't can't film in here. (laughs) (laughs) That's good, yeah. (laughs) Now, Walt, as well as being a podcast host and guesting on other podcasts, I understand you also do work as a private investigator. Is that right? Or can't you say anything? That is correct. Yeah, sure is. Have you ever followed a, what do you call them, a John or a suspect to a location, eerie location like this? Uh, not like this, but I, I have I have been to some pretty rough places, unfortunately. Well, I guess it's unfortunate when I'm there. Makes for a good story later. Yeah, I bet you've got some great stories. What an interesting thing to do for a living. Yeah, I kind of fell into it, um, but I do love it. It's a lot of fun. And, um, yeah, it's probably a whole nother podcast of stories. Do you have to collect receipts as well, like your disbursements, so they pay you back for parking and fines and stuff like that? Some of the great PI shows, like the Rockford Files and things like that, I I learned pretty quickly why they take payment in advance. And do you wear a three-piece suit with a tie when you're out investigating? Uh, I don't. I'm normally in... uh, 
in, in cargo shorts and a t-shirt. A red sweater vest kind of guy. A <laughs> red sweater vest. Yeah. Yeah, I'm definitely not a coat and tie guy. But it is funny because I was talking to my dad about this movie, and he was um, he became an FBI agent in 1968. So he'd have been working at the same time as Dirty Harry. And he said that Dirty Harry suit is exactly the same kind of suit that every guy in law enforcement throughout the United States wore wow. during that time period. So, Mandy, by that reckoning, they were getting a lot of tail. You like the, you like the brown suit? It's very attractive. I do, I do like the brown that suit. That is hilarious. <laughs> well, um, in a nod, maybe the scriptwriters maybe were thinking about the Zodiac killings um, I think it's just coincidence because Krillint remembered this location from his childhood and Don Siegel f- fitted it in. But, of course, a few of the murders, Walt, took place near quarries or near... near. I mean, this isn't much of a, po- a lake, is it? But um, <laughs> The small puddle. The small puddle, yeah. You, you do, like how, do you like how this minute is proceeding, Walt? The showdown and... I do, I do. And, and there are actually a couple things I like about the whole flow of this scene. And one of the things that you just said was, you know, kind of that tie in with the Zodiac. Mm. One of the things about the Zodiac murderer or the Zodiac killer is that a lot of those were done near water. And so looking back on this, it's interesting that they have this final scene here played out right by that retention pond or whatever that is. um, And tie that in probably by mistake, you know, probably just by coincidence, but tying that in with the Zodiac. In the novelization, they they call this retention pond, they call it an irrigation ditch. So I don't think it was envisaged so cinematically as it is here. And Scorpio says, (laughs) a dumb kid, right? (laughs) Fishing in a goddamn ditch. But um, I think I prefer how they ended up filming it here. (laughs) Yeah, I I like that a little bit better too. And and, and it really is a good place to shoot um, for this scene. You've got a lot of open space and um, it's... It's kind of in the um, in the vein of a lot of the other shootouts through other movies that Clint Eastwood has, where they're big productions and you know cover a lot of a lot of area. So um, it, it's a great classic Clint Eastwood scene. When Scorpio actually grabs the kid, I love that seventies almost television zoom it has in. Um, this movie doesn't have a lot of them actually where it zooms in, which to its benefit. But here they. Here's an example of a 70s cliche that I actually quite like. <laughs> Did this kid not hear the gunfire? Because generally speaking, this is not a good place to be fishing if it's very loud. So you can either argue it was too loud that he didn't hear the gunfire, in which case, probably not a lot of fish. Or he heard the gunfire and went, eh, not my problem, fuck it. So weird. That, I think that's the thing I hate about this minute is I feel like the kid is here just so they could come up with this scenario in the story, but it doesn't. It just doesn't make sense. Like it doesn't make sense that the kid is there. It doesn't make sense that he's not reacting to anything happening around him. It doesn't make sense that he's fishing. It doesn't make sense that school apparently just ended because the Scorpio killer just took a school bus. It's like it's a scene contrived just for this standoff, but not a lot of thought has gone into how they ended up here. I guess it's just. Well, you could say that's the same for Scorpio. Not He's not really conceived well enough. He just exists yeah, for Harry. But it's just like the kids at this point, if you hear someone sprinting up behind you, at no point you're like, fuck it. They're probably coming to give me a hug. Like, <laughs> did he not hear it? 
there's a long way for him to run where you would hear those footsteps if it's quiet enough for you to be fishing. Mandy, in your heart of hearts, do you think that kid, A, he's one of the quarry workers' sons? You know, it's, it's a father-son day at work. That one bloke. B, is he playing truant from school, playing hooky? Or C, is he one of the kids from the school bus? Just thought, oh, well, I I'm think, just going to have fish. I think, <laughs> I think the, that he's a kid from the school bus makes more sense than anything else because at least that puts him at the location. And I think that's why initially when I saw the kid, I was like, I had in that, is this just a random kid or is it a kid from the bus? Should I have been paying more attention to the kids in the bus? But, not- but Sorry, uh, no, uh, no, just, you know, I think you're right. I think he's just there as a as a warm prop or a device. Yeah, to, exactly. You know, and, and a, a shoehorned in one. Is yeah. that an inside yeah. term? Warm prop? Warm, warm prop. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. An extra. He's <laughs> often referred to as a warm prop. Yeah, you're just, you know, just there. Like, for- let's say he came off the bus. Did he steal a fishing rod or did he go to the effort to then go under the bus, <laughs> open underneath the bus, grab his fishing rod and go, you know what? I'm here. Fuck it. At what point was he like, hmm? I mean, man with gun just kidnapped my school bus. Time for fishing. When you like to fish... You never miss an opportunity, right? <laughs> I hope he's not using gravel as bait. Like his dad's... Look, I've told him his son to use gravel. The idiot. <laughs> and again, okay, so let's say it belongs to the kid that works at the steel mill. The guy, two men firing guns. Your priority would be, oh, he's heading towards where my kid would be. Yeah. Where did this kid come from, man? Well... The only thing I could think with him, though, is that he may think that it's just industrial noise. So he may not tie together the idea that there's a gunfight going on and then that he needs to go hide or whatever. Wouldn't that then be the worst place to try and catch fish? Although it's not a stream, so the fish haven't got anywhere to go. Oh, and I can only imagine what kind of contamination is in that thing. I mean, the 70s in the United States when there were no regulations on anything, you'd have three-eyed fish with two arms coming out of there. (laughs) (laughs) Delicious. Well, Walt, our previous guest, Daniel... Uh, who's a geologist, interestingly enough. He said um, the National Rock of California is serpentine or serpentine, which is quite prominent in this part of the Marin Headlands or Marin County. And actually, (laughs) the kid could be quite literally fishing in a a pond of asbestos-contaminated water. (laughs) Oh, lovely. Look at that hair. What a mop of hair that kid has as well. Do you know who this kid is, Jordan? No, not a clue. Presumably is- someone who died of asbestos poisoning. No, he's still with us. And he's Andrew Robinson, Scorpio, his real life stepson. Really? Oh. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. It was supposed to be the director's uh, stepson, um, Walt, but he was sick on the day. And um, so, yeah. Andy Robinson provided his own stepson as a warm prop, as you say, Mandy. That's the dedication. <laughs> I wonder what that did to their relationship later. <laughs> Traumatized forever. Well, apparently it took a few yeah. it took a few takes to get this down because Siegel said, "You know, Andy, you're not scaring him." So he, he handles uh, he handles him quite rough. Handles the kid quite rough. That I think would have been the reason they wanted to get someone either related to the director or to the actor because yeah. it's really like there would have been a lot of form. Oh, I don't know back then, but there would have been a lot of concern. To just be like, oh, we'll just get a child actor to manhandle. Whereas if you can get someone that at least someone on set knows well, then potentially there's a bit of leniency there. Yeah. I would love to see the blooper of him just running up and pushing him into the pond. Yeah. That'd be the, my favorite blooper of all time. Just him just running up and like, psych. 
or tripping and accidentally pushing and they both end up in the pond. I like to think the kid's just a quarry worker's son and not someone from the bus because it just really hammers home how pathetic, how things are coming undone for Scorpio. Like, not he started off with a high-powered sniper rifle. Now he's resorted to stealing a gun from someone, a Luger. Now he's desperately got one final hostage in between him, and it's not even one that he planned. It's not even a school hostage, school bus hostage to some random. Do we get any indication that he's planned it even 20 seconds or a minute before we've seen the kid? Is there any indication that Scorpio... Because there's a shot um, maybe in the last minute where we do see a kid fishing, but does Scorpio see that? Yeah, he does. So, has he got this planned? Is is that why he's got some maniacal kind of laugh when he actually, he wants a standoff? Like, and it's actually, he's sort of forcing Clint to be in this position? He's just desperately scrambling for anything that he can use. Yeah. Yeah, so here he spies, where, where, where you've paused it. For us, yeah, he does spy the kid, but has he seen the kid prior to this moment? No. No. And he's just immediately thought, I know what I'm going to do. Fishing. I'm going (laughs) to help this kid put the gravel bait on his fishing hook. (laughs) (laughs) Walt, have you read that John Milius wrote some of the first drafts of this script? I did not know that. He had really different ideas how it should end. I think in one version, he wanted it to end at a school kid's graduation dance. Oh. Something like Scorpio would strap the mine to the kid's leg or something like whole rat and flamethrowers on the bus and a whole lot of weird, weird things. Would you have liked to have seen a crazier end to this movie than what we get? Or is it perfect? Just this simple Western showdown thing. I I really like the simple Western showdown. Yep. Uh, that other ending could take a really dark turn. Mm. But um, I, I kind of like the way it ends. I, there is a, something about Dirty Harry that... Um, now, some of the lighter ones get pretty dark. But they're, they're cop movies. They're gritty. But there's a, a lightness to them and a, a fun to them. Where it really could, man, that could have gone sideways fast and really given us a whole different uh, feel for who Dirty Harry is and what the movies are like. How many nephews and nieces does the director have that he was going to do a whole ballroom of kids? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) There's some great behind the scenes, uh, sorry, just some still photography from this day of shooting. And it shows they've constructed a wooden sort of dock that you know that the kid's standing on that scorpio kidnaps him from why in real life would there be like a dry dock here by this pond do you think do you think i don't know man do you think there was a crane or something like why oh gosh I've... it's the worst place to try and hop on a boat from <laughs> yeah yeah I, I honestly don't know unless they're used oh i know i've got no idea john i honestly don't know wasn't really much of a question <laughs> oh mate are you okay it's fine it's a good question oh my mate. gosh that is hilarious well that pond is a weird set um i mean it's a good good place for them to wrap the movie up and you get that cool dramatic end that people will see in a few weeks but um or in a few episodes but uh that is kind of a weird thing because that dock is about 10 feet off the water it feels like 
Who in this? We've got only the subtitles. Who's saying drop the gun creep? Is that Scorpio? Scorpio. It's weird that Scorpio is accusing Dirty Harry of being a creep. I noticed that too. Man handles a child, holds a gun to his head. Drop the gun, you creep. (laughs) Stop following me. Projecting. I like that maybe Scorpio just has like short-term memory loss and halfway through just going to the old steam mill, he noticed a man (laughs) with a gun chasing him and he was trying to escape. It's like Memento. Yeah, he just lives 10 minutes. Short-term memory has gone. There's some lot of interesting words in this movie. We thought maybe Walt were just anachronistic or maybe America uses words differently, like they use the word molest. Like, don't molest Scorpio, don't molest him. And we thought, well, in Australia, that word's pretty much always just mean pedophilia, unfortunately, the association. Creep, molest. Yeah, okay, so I actually heard your discussion on that the other day. Um, And it's kind of... I think now it, the meaning has changed and people aren't going to use it this way, but it formally was used to kind of like rough up or um, you might use it in a in terms of a football game or a hockey game where um, you were kind of, you know, giving the guy an elbow or something like that and, um, and harassing him or something. Uh, now it has definitely taken on the more uh, criminal sexual meaning and um, it, you would not... You would not use that for anything other than that, I don't think, anymore. Presumably, the word creep is always meant like pervert, right? Or someone who's a bit deviant, always? That's that's what I think, too. Yeah, kind of a weirdo. So, why why is Scorpio using that word against Harry? I suppose he's just reaching for something to offend him. It's such a shallow dig. It's like, out of all things you could call him, creep is maybe just the most nothing attack. Or hammerhead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, is his intent to hurt Dirty Harry's feelings? Like, Dirty Harry's going to get to this point and be like, oh, jeez, you didn't have to go ahead and call me a creep. I mean, we were just playing around. And- right. Now now he really hurt his feelings. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've really pissed him off now. They both look at women through binoculars, so they're both <laughs> creeps, really. Why is Harry so out of breath and Scorpio seems pretty good? Harry seems really like... <gasps> it was sliding down that rail, just gave him the breather he needed. <laughs> I'll buy that. Okay, so by but at this time period, the character Dirty Harry would be in his 50s, right? He was kind of an older guy. In the original scripts, yeah, when Sinatra was going to play him, yeah, it was envisaged a bit older, about to retire. So there was less stakes in him being a badass because, well, yeah. What are they going to do, fire me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Two days for retirement. Right, right. So I I just kind of took it as he is the older cop. He's, you know, 50s, 60s, and this has kind of worn him out. He doesn't have a whole lot left, and here he is now at the big showdown. No, I think that's logical. That is consistent. I just think Scorpio seems a bundle of energies, calling people names. He's grabbing a kid. He's, <laughs> he's all over the place. I guess Scorpio's had more time to pause and wait for Dirty Harry to show his face so he can shoot him. So Dirty Harry's sort of consistently been on the chase, whereas Scorpio's been able to find vantage points and then sort of wait just for small, like even if only 10 seconds to sort of catch his breath, aim his gun somewhere, Dirty Harry might show up and then keep running a bit more. I've just been thinking about the word creep and maybe it would have been interesting if he called him a square. Like maybe maybe that's very 70s. um, But think think about it like he... The criminal is thinking, ah, oh, the cops are square. But we're thinking, this is the least square cop you'll ever see. Yeah. But, it, yeah, it, it kind of gives you a spectrum uh, between, like, maniac, someone just about 
outside of the rules and, you know, the cliche of the very square cop. Uh, Walt, do you think Scorpio really thinks he's got Harry here? Like, does he really think, ah, you're screwed, Harry? Or is it just bravado? He's faking it till he makes it. Does he really think Harry's got... Does he really think he's going to triumph here? I, I think the way I understand his character is, is that he's so nuts that he's just not in touch with reality. And so he may think that he's got him or hope that he's got him. But, you know, a, a sane person at this point drops their weapon, turns themselves in. But this guy instead decides, I'm fighting it out. So it, it may have just been kind of an all or nothing thing for him that I'm either going to get out or I'm going to die trying. From the distance that Dirty Harry is standing and with the precision shots that we've seen Scorpio attempt, I'd feel quite safe being Dirty Harry at that distance, I reckon. <laughs> Usually takes like 30 or 40 shots of Scorpio to hit anything. <laughs> Most of his shots are pretty crap. <laughs> I think from that distance, like Dirty Harry is like, yeah, I'm probably safe about here. Probably fine. He could probably get yeah, off a shot. Yeah. He might wing my arm. I don't think he's going to get like a kill shot from there with Scorpio's history. How many shots has Scorpio got left? Well, he just put in a clip before or in the last minute, didn't he? Oh, we did see that, yeah. Well, uh, well, do Lugas have just um, nine rounds in a clip or something? Or how many rounds? I was going to say, I, th- I think that's a nine round magazine. Yeah, I think so. You mentioned uh, Die Hard before, Walt. Are you a big fan of that movie? Oh, love that movie. Greatest Christmas movie ever made. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, do you think perhaps this is a prequel to Carl Winslow's character? I killed a kid. Do you reckon this is what really happened? This is Carl Winslow? He, was, he had an adversary like Scorpio, but um, unfortunately he aimed for Scorpio, but he killed the kid. Yeah, he, he kind of did the opposite of Dirty Harry and took out, the, took out a good guy. Uh, yeah, maybe. And there are so many parallels between the two movies, aren't there? Yeah, And it's almost like they were trying to recreate Dirty Harry in that character. I think it's certainly derivative. I think, um, because Die Hard is, yet again, it's based on a cop who sort of, he pushes the rules just a bit for the sake of common sense. Um, And I think that's certainly derived from a lot of Clint Eastwood's work is, like, you know, there's the law and it's there for a reason, but sometimes common sense prevails. And that's a lot of what Die Hard is about as well, where you've got all the people setting up all these parameters outside the building and John McClane's character is like, you guys aren't going to achieve anything just being outside of the building. Like, <laughs> If movies with buses have taught me anything, pop <sighs> quiz, shoot the hostage. <laughs> but McClane's got nothing on Harry because he's, he's still got a chance. He's divorced or separated, right? Yeah. As we said, that's silent waters run deep. But Harry's cool, sad. He's got the dead wife. That'll always animate him to being dark, you know? <laughs> He's got no chance of redemption. And he, gets, he really he gets is. gets a dog. He, I don't know if it was on Escape from LA, you're on Walt, or another podcast they were saying, McLean really is a hero. He's not an anti-hero, really. He's just a hero that's got an attitude problem. Whereas Harry really actually is really going against the grain in potentially a really dark place. What is his motivation? He's got nothing but the job, you know? I'd agree with that, yeah. Yeah, I think in most American law enforcement organizations now, Harry would not stay. He would not last. Um, But John McClane would. He would fit in enough. Um, Now, he may have a few letters in his folder. Yeah. um, But he would still follow the rules enough to stay on the job. But Harry wouldn't. Harry'd have to go find something else to do. Fishing in a mill. Maybe Harry in real life would just go, 
I'm going to Hollywood. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. Or he'd stay. He'd stay in the Marine Corps, and uh, you know, it would be more like uh, Gunny Highway. Oh yes, Heartbreak Ridge. Yeah, that's a great movie. Um, oh, wonderful movie. A lot of cussing in that movie. A lot of swearing. But um, in that movie, doesn't the Gunny? Doesn't Clint Eastwood's character? He's, he starts off being arrested by the police, and he pisses in a squad car. <laughs> I'd love to see yes. how how he he matches up against Harry, but there's other good parallels with that. Like he's angry because one of one of his lieutenants, you know, gets a paper cut and's like, "Oh!" And he's got all these limp wristed officials above him. His um, the colonel, like said, "I've never been to active service," and he's can't been promoted from logistics or whatever. Yeah, a lot of similarities in that. He's he thinks he's he's. His superiors are all limp-wristed and all that they're ineffectual. They're sociologists like Chico. They can't get it done. I, I need to watch that movie again. It's really good. Oh, it's yeah, it's a great movie. Well, I think there's a lot of um, of truth in that trope that you see in Dirty Harry, where a lot of the street officers who are out making arrests and uh, doing investigations have a little bit of a, um, I don't know, they, they look down a little bit on the officers who sit behind a desk all the time and aren't really willing to get out and kick doors down and, and make arrests like that. So it, it is kind of a, an interesting thing that comes up in movies sometimes. And when I've talked to friends of mine who work for police departments, they're like, Oh yeah, that kind of competitive stuff goes on all the time. Well, Walt, you can, you can perhaps help us with the previous minute. Very, very different system of policing and government in Australia. At what point is the FBI called in to deal with the kidnapping? How quick does that happen? Right. So when I was listening to that um, that episode in my car, I explained it really well um, to my radio. Um, <laughs> let me see if I can do as good a job here. So the FBI is a federal law enforcement agency, which means that they work you know, for the U.S. government. They're an agency of the U.S. government. Other agencies are like, you know, the state patrol or a local county sheriff's department or a local city police department. Right. Those local city and county agencies and state agencies have jurisdiction for, like the state I live in is the state of Georgia. Um, so we have, you know, the sheriff and the police department and, and, and stuff. If there's a kidnapping, let's say a a 10-year-old gets kidnapped. Yep. The local law enforcement officers have jurisdiction in that until that child crosses the state line. So if you take a kid from Georgia into Alabama, the FBI immediately takes jurisdiction of that investigation. So it now has become a federal crime. Um, if, if the local law enforcement agency feels like the resources of the FBI, like the, uh, the mind hunter people, the, the forensic analysis people, if they think they would be helpful, they can call and request their help. And the FBI will come in. They won't take over the investigation. They'll just lend assistance in that one area that the local law enforcement people ask for help in. And there are, you know, there are counties in Georgia, for example, South Georgia, where they may have like 10 deputies that cover the entire county. So if they have a big case like that, there's no way they have the resources to handle that. So they may, may immediately go out and ask for help. So... That's kind of that interrelationship. One example that I always use is my dad worked as an undercover agent in the FBI for several years, and somebody stole a bunch of cars in Atlanta, and they were trying to sell them to him. And, you know, as the bad guy that he was 
working as. And they said, well, we don't have time. You know, he said, well, bring him to Alabama. I'm going to be over in Alabama. Because, you know, of course, he was trying to get that federal nexus. And they said, well, we don't have time to do that. And he said, okay, well, then bring him here. So there's a, um, a federal park, a national park here in, in Georgia. And so they went and sold him the cars on the property of that national park, which is federal territory. It became a federal crime, and they <laughs> went to the federal penitentiary for it. So that's kind of the the logistics of how that works. Does that make sense? No, it does. My question was always like, how many FBI agents are in any district or, you know, I'm assuming most kidnappings, there is no federal nexus at all. Is there most kidnappers don't really take kids over state line, do they? Not normally. And, but I I will, I will tell you this though. There's not always a hard line. Um, And what I mean by that is let's say a kid does get kidnapped and a local law enforcement agency calls and says, look, we need manpower. The FBI will roll out every guy they've got available, every agent they can find to go out and try to help. And um, so there, there's not a lot of the, well, we're the FBI, we're going to come take over, or you know, we're not going to do that because that's a local problem. Um, they, if there's an, an issue like that where a kid's life's at, at risk, they will offer whatever help is necessary. But they'll they'll still leave Mulder and Scully available to do their more important work, right? Oh, well, I mean, obviously those investigations of stuff that don't exist, those are more important. So, yes, you would definitely leave them. <laughs> yeah, no. Mulder and Scully, yeah, that's a whole nother bag. I, I don't bring my dad on for that discussion. <laughs> Walt, Walt, would you say would you say FBI agents have just as much opportunity to be mavericks as normal police? Do they have more scope to follow their intuition, or do you think they're even more regulated than your average um, uh, foot soldier and, you know, like Harry? I think it depends. I think by the time you're a detective in a, in a um, local law enforcement, you've kind of got some leeway in how you handle your, your work. And I think a lot of FBI agents are the same way, but you also have a very strict set of rules, regulations, and laws that you're following. So, um, you know, I know that it happens, but it doesn't happen as much as it used to where, you know, you might rough up somebody to get information or whatever. Uh, but they, they're really tight on, you know, how, let's say, money is spent or where you go with somebody that you're working undercover against. Um, they, they try to really regulate that stuff as much as they can, but... Some of it is. I mean, you're you're dealing with bad guys, and you got to go out and do what they're doing. And um, so there is a little bit of that that maverick, um, the attitude and and persona that that comes out. Absolutely. We um oh we're really lucky enough, uh, Walt uh, Clint Eastwood. Um, he's just here in a, a chair. Oh, Clint, uh, thanks for coming. Oh, thank you. It's uh, it's good to be here. Well, you're one of our favorite actors, Clint. I I'm not actually an actor. This is just this is actually a biography of my life. Well, I've got so many questions. I don't know where to begin. Was it a hot day when you were filming this end scene? Oh, I mean, it probably wouldn't have been if they didn't put me in a three piece suit. But yeah. God, I had to take a break every ten seconds just to have a sip of cool water. <laughs> you look like a big turd, Clint. Uh. Yeah, they told me that every day too. Uh, 
But they paid, so I didn't care. <laughs> Did you get on well with Andy Robinson? Because you never acted with him again. I thought you were, you were a great pair. I mean, look, the chemistry was there on screen, but uh, no, I hated his guts. He was the worst, <laughs> maybe the worst man I've ever actually met. <laughs> is Dirty Harry, is it a message film? Is it like, go police, go law enforcement? Uh, look, I mean, really, it was just I didn't know how to write a resume at the time and I wanted to be a detective, so uh, <laughs> I thought if I showed them this film, I'd, I'd definitely have a job. Um, do you think Dirty Harry's... Did he really sleep with Chico's wife after they left the hospital? Did I ever? I mean... <laughs> did he ever? <laughs> uh, wow. I mean... What, what does, in your mind, what does Clint Eastwood drink? Oh, sorry, what does Dirty Harry oh, drink? Oh, God, what a third person. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I mean, most people would think just, you know, a regimented diet of exercise and water, but I just, just gravel and whiskey was really all I drank back then and now. Do you think you'd ever come on our podcast to review minute by minute your great work? I can barely remember half of my life doing these films. It's kind of a good reflection to remember all the things I regret. Well, thanks for appearing in this chair to the right of me as a ghostly apparition. That's fine. Uh, it's got to go figure out how to read the train timetable now. I'll be back in seven hours. <laughs> and go Trump, right? Absolutely not. <laughs> if I still had my gun, I tell you what. Well, thanks for joining us, uh, Clint Eastwood. <laughs> That was really unusual, wasn't it, Walt? That I, I'm floored. I've never been on a podcast with anyone of that caliber. So, <laughs> you mean a 44 Magnum caliber? Really shocked and moved. Thank you for allowing me to be here for that. Didn't didn't say hi to literally another guest. A bit of a punts, but oh well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> didn't let anyone get a word in. Really, what a creep! What a what an absolute tool. Well, that's pretty much all I've got for this minute, guys. Do you have any? Any last thoughts? I wanted to say for people who live in Victoria, you may have seen Dirty Harry's Bin Hire. Have you ever seen that around the place? No. In Fitzroy? No. Anyway. <laughs> no one no one, no one, actually heard of that. I shoot everybody that works for them. It's really... <laughs> Did you have any final comments, Walt, on this minute? Well, I, I love this movie in general, and I, I'm really glad that I got one of the, the minutes that is kind of the race up to the end and and the pivotal one of the pivotal scenes here. So uh, I I love this minute. I love the whole movie. Uh, I would I would have loved to have been here for every minute of it. Um, and obviously, I have a lot to say. But uh, it's a lot of fun, and I really appreciate y'all having me on. With pleasure, with pleasure, Walt. I'm always uh, regretful that I didn't get more movies by minuteers earlier on the podcast, um, particularly Americans, to talk who you know have more insightful comments than than us on how this movie fits into the American psyche. So thank you very much. Um, any last... Well, well, and it's been real interesting for me to hear what y'all think of it because, you know, as an American, you know, I, I kind of have my view of it. Uh, but to hear what y'all have had to say has been really insightful for me too. So I appreciate what y'all are doing. I appreciate the hard work you're putting in. And this has become one of my favorite podcasts. Oh, thank you. Many thanks. Very, very close to the end now, I suppose, John. How many more to go? Yes, just five more five more minutes, I guess, or four more after this. And um, If your co-host Tim comes back a few more times, you better get me in again because I don't want him beating me. With pleasure. 
Well, any last words, Jordan? Thanks for joining us. Uh, no, it's been a pleasure. I think I enjoy looking at these films from a critical standpoint. I think I've like I've got an affinity for these films, but I always really appreciate finding the problems in them. I just enjoy that. Maybe I'm just a bad bloke, but it's been really good having the opportunity to sort of critique it as well. So I really enjoy coming on. And Mandy, thank you very much for coming. Thank you. Thanks for having me again. Do you think you'll ever watch any of the sequels? Ah, uh, look, never say never. I, I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. I'm not a huge, this is going to sound terrible on a Dirty Harry podcast, but I'm not a huge fan of Clint Eastwood. How dare I, you? I, oh, oh, that's hurtful. No, but this went a long way to maybe changing my mind. Maybe I need to give it a bit more time. Well, thank you, everyone, Mandy, Walt, Jordan, Shane, thank you very much. We'll catch you next time on Dirty Harry Minute. You think it won't relate, but it's just not true. It's an old movie. It goes down smooth. Some things they couldn't do today. Got a badass feeling. Harry blows him away. Tie Harry's hands. What's the plan? PTSD from Vietnam. He's a big cop named Callahan. Look out, San Fran. Harry's old fashioned got no life. Drunk drive across the center line took his wife. San Francisco's now a zoo. Bank Robin seems quaint, not a lot to do. San Francisco's a zoo. Who the 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 who